Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time. The cyclicality is kind of being upended by those nearshoring and rearshoring trends that we're seeing in America. We've got the enabling technologies and the most promising applications of those technologies. Zeno, great having you back on the podcast and great finally getting to meet you in person at uh, Exchange a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I have to say the same. It was great to actually meet in person. Uh, I think we've only connected over voice, so uh, good to see your, your wheel, um, which is something that will probably be harder to tell in the future, but uh, we don't have to get into that today. But yeah, no, great to be here today. Great to be back. And obviously, you know, NVIDIA has been uh, quite the story. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and so, look, you and I aren't going to focus specifically on any uh, ETFs this week, but you know, to your point, obviously, NVIDIA and really the rest of the so-called Magnificent Seven, they're clearly having uh, an enormous impact on a number of ETFs. And I think in some cases, uh, causing investors to look for ETFs that actually don't own these stocks, right, due to concentration risk and, uh, and valuation and, and those sorts of things. But I thought it might be interesting to hear your perspective on all of this, given, obviously, your expertise in AI, and, you know, last week we did have this earnings report from NVIDIA. And as I noted, that stock then proceeded to add a record $277 billion in market cap the following day. And I, I looked this morning, NVIDIA is now up nearly 60% for the year after being up 240% last year. And so I, I guess first, you know, let's start with that, uh, that earnings report. What, what did you make of that? Yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of not a surprise. We're in a world where game theory is positioning all the biggest companies and governments in the world to um, position themselves in this AI future. I mean, you're looking at the flack that Alphabet and Google is getting for not up to par AI models and, and interfaces coming out. It's crushing their stock 4% in a single day. I think people realize this is table stakes. So uh, the, the fact that AI GPU investments are, are going up ahead of expectations shouldn't be surprising anyone, at least in this phase of where we're at. So just kind of looking at the numbers, NVIDIA was up 156% year over year to over $60 billion 2023 revenue, mostly driven by growth in data center, uh, kind of these AI GPUs, um, which going back to those mega tech firms, they, they are over 50% of data center revenue. So, you know, there, there are people outside of that getting access and allocation, but it's primarily megatech making investments to build their own AI models and also have inference, which is when we're actually interacting with it. Like when you're chatting with ChatGPT, that's the inference layer, not the training on the back end that got it to the point where it could do that. Um, they also have gaming revenue, you know, laptops and GPUs and other services and segments like professional visualization and automotive. It's funny to think about all this because in 2022, you know, NVIDIA was down over 45% and everyone was focused on them losing allocation uh, to Ethereum uh, going from proof of work to proof of stake. We don't really have to get into that, but essentially switching to a form of not needing GPUs and gaming going down. And, and, and obviously, ChatGPT changed the game and it's not just people using it, but it's people building out or organizations building this out for the future and, and hedging themselves. I, I mean, really... We can call this a, a techno hedge. <laughs> so as you said, NVIDIA is up 230% uh, year over year. Um, 
and its earnings growth is is is, is phenomenal. Um, and and just kind of going to the basics, you know, you know, I, I kind of said, you know, they have automotive and other areas, but their main game, and they've been investing in this for a long time now. I mean, going into nearly a decade um, uh, on on the AI focused GPUs, but um, you know, they're what's a GPU? Why is this like? Why is Nvidia eating eating cake here? Um, you know, they, they've got the the best in class uh, AI enabled GPUs uh, called their Hopper series, um, and these are being put in data centers, and and they're millions of times more powerful and capable versus something like Intel CPUs uh, for graphic pro- you know graphic processing demand and analytics, um, where like a CPU is better for Excel and data analytics and processing. Um, that's why, you know, most laptops are very focused on the CPU side or, you know, what most people are using on a day-to-day basis. This is, of course, kind of changing. Um, so, yeah. Zeno, we don't have to get into your uh, views on the valuation of NVIDIA's uh, stock right now, though you're more than welcome to comment on that. But I think for most investors just on the outside looking in at this space, I think naturally they start thinking about, okay, what do the competitive dynamics look like here moving forward? And, you know, obviously other companies, I I don't think, they're not just going to sit back and let NVIDIA dominate, including some of NVIDIA's biggest customers, right? From what I've seen, their own customers are working to compete with them on uh, on some of these chips you mentioned the the training and then the inference side and, and you can talk a little bit about that but how, how are you viewing the competitive dynamics here because i do think that plays into whether investors should be paying up for a stock like nvidia yeah so it's, it's clear that the market's going to keep growing um the semiconductor market itself is is probably and, and many people are suggesting will grow to over a trillion dollars by 2030 with um, you know, AMD CEO recently, and that's one of the key competitors here, you know, expects the AI chip market to soon be a $400 billion market itself. Obviously, semiconductors are not just for AI chips. They're for sensors, computer vision, cameras, basically, you know, controlling powertrains and electronics and robotics and automation. There's a lot that goes on um, in the semiconductor world besides this, but those aren't as expensive. But that's kind of the point is that those have become more commoditized. So really, it's a game of maximum efficiency for each purpose um, value. And so, as I said earlier, this is right now the purpose is game theory around training these proprietary models and building a moat around being able to be and remain the interaction layer for humanity. I mean, that's what every one of these companies is trying to be. Um, you've got Google with Gmail and Google Search and you know Microsoft with Windows and Bing and Azure AI Cloud. They're all trying to protect their moat and build new moats. Um, and so, you know, NVIDIA has clearly been the main beneficiary here. Intel has been lagging. Um, you know, that's clear by their market cap, which has been going up. This is kind of like a rising tide is lifting all boats moment right now. But we're going to start to see some separation as we enter kind of this next phase. As you pointed out, um, all of their customers are trying to either work with competitors like AMD, which has solid products that are coming out soon, um, they're also working on building their own uh, specialized AI chip for their own purposes. Meta's doing this, Microsoft's doing this, Tesla's obviously been doing this. Um, so, so clearly, like we're we're going to start to see pressure on not just their competitive positioning, but also the value for each purpose. Um, so, you know, if you think of just the concept of price to earnings, right? Nvidia is at about two trillion dollars right now, uh, based on increasing expectations of earnings. You can say they're going to continue growing, but I think 
you know, the relative value for, and, and I think you, I think many people are discounting the value that other players are going to bring to the ecosystem. Some, somebody like AMD, um, something to think about also is just the, the inference cost and the connectivity inference is the actual live processing. Now, we're going to enter a tangent of a world where uh, we're going to have on device versus cloud. Big tech is probably going to want you to be on the or on the cloud because that'll give them fees and, and payments. Where AI is getting some really good models coming out that are lightweight and powerful that can run on device, um, and they can use connectivity when they need to. But companies like Qualcomm and Meteor Tech are actually better positioned for that tangent um, that will be coming down the down the pipeline soon, and we're starting to see AI chips. Uh, and AI devices coming out. So I really think, you know, there, there probably is a little bit, um, like the whole market, very bullish on, obviously, but I would say, in, will NVIDIA be the champ it is, you know, a year or two from now? That's TBD, but definitely would suggest some hedging against other possible outcomes coming through. I mean, this doesn't, we, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's interesting because uh, over the weekend, I'm sure you saw this, the Wall Street Journal had, a, uh, a full article on NVIDIA and the competitive dynamics, and they touched on exactly what, what I think you're hitting on, and that NVIDIA right now is is dominating this market on chips used to actually train the models um, versus, you, you mentioned inference, these chips that are used to actually process requests. As you said, like when you type something in the chat GBT and there are more players on the inference side, I think it's an easier market. And so what the Wall Street Journal was getting at is as we move more from the training piece into the inference piece, that could be something that is a, uh, a headwind for NVIDIA just from a competitor standpoint. I don't know if you want to elaborate on that. If I got that right, <laughs> you're the expert here. No, I mean, you, you nailed it. I mean, you sound like the expert, too, here. And I, I think, um, you know, right now, the utilization of AI tools is skyrocketing. That's clear. It's mostly a world of AI tools for humans, including coding. Um, to, to quote um, Denson Fong, CEO of NVIDIA, kids shouldn't learn the code. That's what he said over, you know, on his last talk. He was saying the way AI is progressing is everybody in the world is a programmer. Computers can now speak human. Um, and, and the transition to that, what you were just talking about with the Wall Street Journal and, and competition is there's a, the world's shifting really quickly, and most people are not really thinking about it enough. Or, or maybe they are. If they're, they're listening to this, like you're, you're a step ahead, you know, you're trying to stay ahead of the game. But, you know, even, you know, let's take this, OpenAI. Uh, that's clearly been, you know, they've got tons of revenue, um, big partnerships. But Microsoft just partnered with their competitor, Mistral, in France. And they have their own open source and proprietary models. Um, and so, so effectively, I'm not going to call it magic, but... I mean, that is kind of magic. Like, we can talk to non-biological elements to control them. I mean, that's what these chips are for. That's what this AI is for, is helping automate our world and, and have it do more for us with, um, you know, limited and scarce resources. Um, and, and so just two things real quick to add to that is this next layer of AI is going to be um, multimodal. Um, so that's the ability to process, you know, from an input and output multiple senses at the same time. Um, like humans do. This is, um, you know, text, video, sound, you know, temperature, all these different elements um, and understand them. So this is going to increase the training and, and better models, but also allow for incredible real-time benefits like human, the robot collaboration and support. Um, this, so this is going to support things in healthcare, like biology, 
drug development. Like they, we're 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 entering this this era of of massive acceleration of of benefit. Um, the other side of that is okay. Well, now you can put that on to robots and drones and vehicles, um, and that's called embodiment of AI. And that's a different chipset, a different architecture that's required. That requires more safeguards, connectivity, um, computer vision, and other senses going into it. So that's a whole different model that NVIDIA isn't necessarily, I mean, they, they have an automotive segment, but um, there's a lot that goes into monitoring um, those things as, as they scale. I mean, that's a lot of autonomous decision-making that we're looking to build up. And those decisions happen at the nano, the micro, and global scale. Um, so the ecosystem that will grow to support that is going to be a humongous portion of future GDP, when right now it's a tiny portion of GDP, which I think last estimates um, are around like $115 trillion or so, give or take. So, Zeno, let me ask you this. Going back to uh, where we started, obviously a company like NVIDIA has driven a decent chunk of the S&P 500s return over the past year. But even if you look this year, S&P 500 is up 7%. Something like 25% of that return has been driven just by NVIDIA. And from my perspective, I, I would say overall, the start to 2024 does look a lot like last year, right? Where the top of the S&P 500, the, the mega cap tech companies, the ones involved with a lot of what's going on in AI, they're driving the bulk of returns. And as I was touching on at the top, that has some investors concerned about things like concentration risk and valuations. And I'm going to get into this in more detail uh, in just a bit with State Street's Matt Bartolini, but I would love to hear your take on this. Like, how concerned are you with the Magnificent Seven stocks? Because you just walked through, I thought, really interesting look into the future and where some of this may be heading. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're, you're pretty bullish on where all of this is going. And we know the the largest players in tech are going to be involved here. So not looking to have you offer investment advice, but how do you think investors should be thinking about this? Nate, are we talking about mega cap imperialism? <laughs> <laughs> so so truly, and, and, and for, for good reason, you know, the world is philosophically and literally being eaten by mega caps right now. I mean, it makes sense in a way that the best of the best scale globally would be the biggest companies and organizations in the world, um, more than even governments. Uh, people often compare like France versus GDP, even, you know, Europe versus market caps. And I'm like, yeah, the best of the best scale across the globe could be the biggest. I mean, that just is makes sense. Um, um, that's how things work. But yeah, I think, I think portfolio concentration is one thing, right? You know, you're, if you kind of like back into that, um, and these aren't necessarily answers, but just kind of questions to think about is like, okay, so what percentage of total GDP, uh, actual perceived in the near future, um, what's going to stop these mega cap companies becoming Titan caps? I don't know if that's the term, but $10 trillion. Um, are there contenders? Are there regulatory impacts? Um, and what are other companies that are actually going to benefit from that? Um, you know, if you look at the business models of the MAG7, you know, a lot of it's very, um, and, and for good reason, uh, consumer-focused. Um, some of them have business models that might be uh, impacted by open-source alternatives coming down the pipeline that negates the need to rely on them as much, both from a hardware and software perspective. Um, and, you know, you kind of you have to ask yourself, okay, well, people have been used to free for many years, but now they're willing to pay up for some AI tools. Are they going to willing to pay up to preserve privacy and have their own AI stack that has their own best interest first serving 
a larger organization and, and what are the competitive dynamics with that? So the way I'm looking at it right now is, is yes, like I, the mega caps are where they are for good reason, but I think that there is another play to be made that there are companies and an ecosystem that aren't valued as high, that don't have as high, you know, analyst consensus over the, these tailwinds that are coming through, um, that could also become, you know, parts of these larger, you know, the spies that, that are maybe mid or, or smaller caps that have really good positioning to, to be a part of this automation. And, and if you look at where growth is coming over in the coming years, you know, consumer markets are stressed pretty thin, debt expense ratios are climbing. Um, there's, uh, you know, for Apple, for example, like they're facing threats in China, services business is, is getting some flack for their take rates. And, and all these things are things that are, are, are not even really baked in. I mean, they're, they're all kind of, you know, Apple's been declining over the last couple of years, but their stock is, is, is going up. Um, and, and they've really been squeezing the, the, the juice out of earnings by reducing costs, but there's only so long you can do that. Um, so yeah, I would say, you know, there is definitely a play that, um, you know, there, there should be a transition to kind of techno hedge yourself here outside of, uh, outside of the mag seven, for example. But it sounds like you're not necessarily suggesting to move away from say a market cap weighted S and P 500 ETF. It's just that investors should also be looking elsewhere in addition to that. Is that fair? Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I think, I think this, this AI and robotics and automation coming through the pipeline will benefit all companies and organizations. I would say that maybe expectations are still fairly high for some of these mega cap companies on kind of like a two year horizon. So maybe that's something to think about into getting more equal weight or kind of thematic exposure into an area that, that is kind of not guaranteed, but more likely to continue seeing growth and, and product uh, or pricing resilience for what they're building out and what's, what's really happening with, you know, the, uh, automation, energy transition and all these different elements coming together. But, you know, they're, they're clearly, you know, big tech is still being used. And until it's replaced, it's hard to say that. But if something changes and it happens fast, it, it could happen really fast. So that's the other angle to think about is, is maybe diversify a bit away from that, but not necessarily, you know, abandon ship. Well, Zeno, fun conversation this week. You clearly know this space uh, inside and out, which I uh, certainly appreciate. But great having you back on the podcast, and uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Always excited to be on. That was Zeno Mercer, Senior Research Analyst at Vetify.